Hi everyone, welcome to Cancer Healing Journey Talks. Myself Sonali Modi from Community Outreach Team of Zenonco.io and Love Heals Cancer. Cancer Healing Journey Talks help cancer survivors and caregivers to share their journey with us. With vast number of survivors and other caregivers who have traveled or been traveling through the journey. This can inspire and motivate them for their faster recovery as well. So firstly, I would like to introduce today's speaker, Ms. Rennie. She's a cancer survivor, and I'm happy that you're here with us to share your journey. Over to you, ma'am. Please uh, start with your introduction. Thank you very much, Sonali. I'm really happy to be here, and thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm here actually to share a little bit about my story as a cancer survivor. Actually, I've had two different types of cancer. Uh, in 2001, I was first diagnosed with breast cancer stage two. And in 2014, I had a second cancer not related to the breast cancer at all. It's called an acinic cell carcinoma. And it was in the parotid gland inside my face over here. So I had surgery to remove the tumor. Um, and as of 2016, the breast cancer appeared again in my lungs. So today I am considered uh, stage four breast cancer and I introduce myself normally as someone who is living with metastatic breast cancer. Okay. So, so if you'd like to know a little bit more about me, I'm in Malaysia, hello. Um, it's a little unusual to be talking to somebody in India about this. Um, but I'm very happy to be here to share my story. Yes. So, yeah, we are really happy and honored to have you with us. And so what were the symptoms and how it got diagnosed? Okay. Um, stage two, back in 2001, I found the lump actually quite by accident. I was going to have a shower. I had taken off my clothes and I passed in front of a mirror. And as I looked at myself in the mirror, I noticed there was something strange about my left breast. It looked different. Mm. So on further inspection, I realized that there was a lump there. And so the next day in the morning, I went to see um, a doctor at an emergency and, you know, A&E, accident and emergency mm. at the hospital that was nearest to the office where I was working. And they did a mammogram, they did an ultrasound, and they confirmed that there was a lump, but they told me I needed to do a biopsy to find out if this was actually a cancer or not. So two days later, I met with a surgeon at the same hospital, and we agreed that I would do a lumpectomy first to remove the, the tumor and send it for biopsy. And the reason why we elected to do a lumpectomy uh, as the first step was because it was sitting very close to the surface, right next to my nipple. So the surgeon was hopeful that she could actually make, perhaps remove everything in one go, in which case I would not need further surgery. But as it turned out, there wasn't a sufficient margin around the tumor that they excised. And so I needed to do a full mastectomy later once the biopsy results showed that this was actually a stage two breast cancer. Okay. So what was your first reaction when you got to know that you are diagnosed with cancer and how your family took this news? Well, I was um, quite lucky. 
I had good friends. Um, I had my family around me, but nevertheless, it did come as a shock. And after I did the second uh, surgery to remove the, the entire breast, they did a, a further biopsy. And that's when it really sank in, you know, when I got that result that, yeah, this is breast cancer. And I remember breaking down in tears in the doctors. Well, not in the office. I sort of ran out of the office <laughs> and I headed straight for the ladies' toilets, you know, and there I had a good cry. Um, but my sister was with me and uh, it, it really helped a lot having my family and my friends around me. Yes. Yes. So what treatment you underwent? Okay, me, I had chemotherapy. And instead of the usual six cycles, I did something a little bit more aggressive. Uh, eight cycles of chemotherapy. The first, uh, the first half was like the normal chemo. And then the second half, we switched to a single drug chemotherapy, which was more effective, had fewer side effects, start again. So after, sorry, you want to ask the question first? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what treatment you underwent? Okay, after the mastectomy, I did the adjuvant treatment. So I had eight cycles of chemotherapy, mm -hmm. followed by radiotherapy. Um, I did, I think, five weeks of that. So 25 uh, radiotherapy sessions, yeah. Okay, and did you find any alternative treatment to that? At the time, no, I'm a very, I'm a very, you know, I follow my doctor's advice kind of person. Mm -hmm. um, I did take some antioxidant vitamins on the advice of my surgeon, but that was all. Uh, some people did send me things to, to take, you know, because here in Malaysia, of course, we are a, a multi-ethnic community. So everybody has their home remedies and things like this to share. Um, but I didn't really put much effort into doing those, those um, sorts of things. I really stuck to the medical treatment as my recovery plan, yeah. So after I completed all the adjuvant treatments, that took about nine months to do. Then I was put on tamoxifen because my cancer was determined as something that's what they call hormone positive. Okay. Yeah, hormone receptor positive. So I was a candidate for tamoxifen, which I took for the next five years. Hmm. So like how many chemotherapy cycles you took? Uh, I did eight. Okay. Yeah, I did eight. And normally, um, the usual chemo for a stage two breast cancer like mine, hormone receptor positive, mm. uh, low grade infiltrative ductal carcinoma, normally they would have given six cycles of chemotherapy. But okay. I chose eight because it's a little bit more aggressive. Uh, the second half, they changed to a single uh, chemotherapy drug, which is more effective and also had fewer side effects, but it also cost a lot more. But I was very fortunate that um, I could afford it. I had insurance cover and things mm. like this. My employer was also very, very supportive. And I did have some medical cover from my, from my workplace as well. Okay. So how did you manage your emotional well-being during these times? I think I cried a lot. <laughs> I think I cried a lot. And I talked to my friends. 
I had a very, very good friend um, who's still my friend today. Um, and, you know, when I started losing my hair, she is the lady who said, you know what, rather than wearing hats and looking funny when you take your hat off because there's a bald patch here and a bald patch there, I'm going to take it to the barber and we'll just shave it all off and then it'll be done. And so we did, you know, we went to the barber together uh, and he shaved my head bald. He was a little bit surprised, um, but he understood the guy, you know, in the barbershop. Yeah. So it was fun. And I actually enjoyed being bald after that. It was, it was kind of cool, you know. Not many ladies uh, can have an excuse to walk around with no hair on their heads. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So, I can understand. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So how was your experience with the doctors and other medical staff? I would say excellent. We are very lucky in Malaysia. We have a dual system, you know. We have the government hospitals and we also have private hospitals. Now, government hospitals, they charge very little. And really, um, I like to think that this is meant more for that population in Malaysia that cannot afford going to a private hospital. In my case, I had insurance cover. I had support from my employer. So I opted for private, um, a private hospital, private treatment, um, which worked very well for me. But I think in both cases, both in the government hospitals as well as the private hospitals, the standard of, of medical care in Malaysia is pretty good. It was pretty good already then, back in uh, 2001. Yeah. So I have uh, no, no complaints, you know, excellent nursing services as well. So I was, I was very very lucky to, to get really the best that I needed. So what were the things that, you, that helped you and made you happy on this journey? Coffee and cake. <laughs> ah, my good friends, um, quite often they would say, oh, we need to cheer you up a little. Let's go have some coffee and some cake, you know. Um, and it was nice. I was also privileged because my employer had a scheme called the uh, long medical leave scheme, you know, so I was able to take a long period of medical leave on full pay up to three months, which I did. So I was diagnosed at the end of the year, somewhere in October. I started chemotherapy in December. So that first year I used all my medical leave. Then for the treatments that continued in the following year, I was able to take three months off work fully paid. And that helped a lot. It meant I could focus on myself, on my treatment, on my emotional state, the things that I was going through without having to worry about, you know, the stress in the office and things like that. Yeah. So how you felt when you first heard that you are cancer-free? Well, um, I never really heard that I was cancer-free. I just carried on with my tamoxifen. And at the end of five years, I realized, oh, great, I don't have to take this anymore. So that was already 2004, 2004, 2005, yeah? Okay. Now... In 2005, I did something wonderful. I went to climb a mountain in Africa. I went to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. 
And this is the highest mountain in the whole of Africa. It's the highest mountain outside of uh, the Himalayas in, in that, no, no, it's the highest freestanding mountain in the entire world. That's right. Mm. So some friends asked me if I would like to do this, you know, and after you've done chemotherapy and all these treatments, you tend to feel rather bad about yourself. You feel very weak. You've yeah. put on possibly a lot of weight, which I did. And I was trying yeah. to lose the weight, but it wasn't working. Going to the gym on my own and all this, it didn't really have much effect. So mm. when my friends asked me if I'd like to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, I said yes. And I changed my goal. I don't want to lose weight anymore. I want to climb the highest freestanding mountain in the world. And that changed everything. So on, I think it was the 26th of February or January 2005, I reached Uhuru Peak, the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. And from that moment onwards, I knew I was okay. I felt this is it. You know, if I can do this, I can do anything. I can beat cancer. I can live a good life. I can be who I am and I can be happy again. Yes, yes, definitely. So did you like, uh, took any training for this mountaineering thing and all, or was it your passion? Uh, it wasn't my passion. The first time I, I climbed a mountain was in 2000 to celebrate the new millennium. And I thought I will never do this again. It's just too difficult. It is way, way too hard. Mm. But when I decided to do Mount Kilimanjaro, I realized that, you know, you really have to train properly for these things. And so I took a, a trainer at the gym mm. and he helped me work out a proper training program and we had to learn all sorts of other things as well. You know, we had to learn about the mountain itself. Yeah. We had to learn about altitude sickness. Yeah. Uh, we had to learn about nutrition. So it was uh, a full year of preparation before we left for Tanzania. Um, yeah. And I'm really glad I did it because, like I said, it, it was a turning point in my recovery as a cancer survivor yeah yes so there are times when you feel that it's too much to handle but you still don't give up so what was the thing that motivated you and kept you going on such days well as i mentioned just now i am still living with breast cancer in fact it has metastasized so it's now gone from stage two to stage four and I think to a lot of people, when they listen to those words, you know, stage four breast cancer, they imagine you must be lying on your deathbed already, like there's no more hope. But I found that there is always hope. And look at me, I'm still very active. I still do my workouts, I still run, I still hike, except the MCO, you know, because of this pandemic that we are going through with COVID. So everything is kind of slowed down a bit now, but um, as soon as it's possible again, I will go back to my hiking and things. And I think this is one of the things that keeps me happy and positive is physical exercise and staying mentally alert through work and things that I do to occupy my time. Yeah, and of course, friends and family. They're always um, there for me and they're always very supportive and they don't treat me like an invalid or something like this. So 
you know, they, they play a big part in helping me deal with my situation and keep moving forward. Hmm. So did you make any lifestyle changes during or after the treatment? Well, um, I think my lifestyle changes have sort of come and go. They come and go, you know. At the beginning, you're very gung-ho about it. Yes, you know, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise better. Uh, and then maybe after a couple of years gone by, you tend to relax a bit more. And then something else happens and you start again, you know. But I do try and remind myself to eat healthy, eat smaller portions, but eat maybe more often during the day. Uh, this helps control the weight as well. So I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm not my ideal weight, but for someone who's turned 60 years old, I'm not too unhappy with where I am now in terms of my physical being, you know. That means my health, my, how, I, how I feel about myself physically. I'm yeah. quite, quite happy, yeah. Um, but really, the lifestyle changes, the biggest was probably regular exercise. Regular exercise with proper planning and someone to show me how to do things the right way. Yeah. So do you think cancer has changed you in a positive way? I think so. I think if you ask my friends also, they will tell you, yeah, she's much nicer now than she used to be. <laughs> <laughs> So what life lessons you got from your cancer journey? Well, life lessons, there are many. But I think the, the key is not to just give up hope. There is always hope. Yeah. Mm. So I've heard many stories about ladies um, who have been diagnosed with breast cancer and they feel that that's the end. They don't want to go for treatment. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to go out. They don't want to see people. They want to just stay home and be alone. And to me, this is giving up hope. Mm. And I think as long as we have hope, there are things we can do. There are people who can help us if we're having problems or challenges, whether it's emotional, spiritual, or even financial. There's always somewhere, somewhere we can go to to get help. So we should try our best um, to overcome these hurdles, you know, because if I had given up when I was told I had cancer in 2001, I wouldn't be here today. But I have had 20 good years of really adventure. Yes, some setbacks, but then more adventure and good people around me. And, you know, I've come to see my nieces grow up. I, I don't have children because I'm not married and I don't have kids, but I, I share in my sister's children, you know, she has three girls. And so I, I watched them grow up and go to school and graduate. And now they're all working and they're starting their own family. And if you just give up, there is so much that you would miss out on. Maybe you don't get to see your daughter get married. Maybe you don't get to hold your first grandchild. And all those things may have been possible if you're just willing to take that step and fight this disease for as long as you can. Yes. So what would be your message to cancer patients and caregivers? Well, for the caregivers, no matter how grumpy and grouchy the cancer patient gets, 
I was sometimes very, very grouchy because with chemotherapy came menopause. And with menopause came these terrible, terrible mood swings, yeah? So mm. caregivers, yes, you know, you have to put up with a lot from the cancer patient, but don't forget to look after yourself as well. You are not a punching bag for people to just keep punching you. You need, you need sometimes a break. You need to rest as well. You need to step back from everything that's happening to this person whom no doubt you love very much. And remember that you are also equally important. Your health, your well-being is just as important. You need to look after yourself as well. So if possible, there should be sort of like a, a team of caregivers, you know, um, so that it's not one person's responsibility 24-7. And for people who are going through cancer, whether it's breast cancer or any other type of cancer, I always remind myself, we're not supposed to be here forever. Hmm. We're not supposed to live forever. There will come a day when we will all take our leave from this world. So there's no real value in sitting around waiting for that day to come, whether you have cancer or not. I think you should live your life to the fullest, as best as you can, enjoy it as much as you can. And when your time comes, then hopefully you can look back on your life and say, hey, you know, I had a pretty good one. It was fun, it was exciting. I had good people in my life. I did good things for other people and I have no regrets. And then you can go peacefully, I think. Um, I do realize that this is easier said than done. And sometimes I do worry that when my time comes, will I really be so at peace to be able to just go? Of course, we don't know. We can only do our best. So that is what I try to do. I just try to do my best and I leave the rest in his hands, you know? Yes, on God. Yes, God's hands. Whether you call him Allah or whether you have another name for your God, um, to me, it's, it's your belief. It's your spiritual anchor. Yeah. So you should um, be happy to leave things in his hands yes so have you ever asked yourself this question why me why me only and if yes then like how you cope up with this thought well it's a natural question i probably did ask why me but i very quickly stopped asking that question because to me looking for a reason why this happened to me, it won't take me anywhere. It will only hold me back. And it's not a punishment. I know that. People don't get cancer as a punishment for something they did early or, you know, in their youth or in a past life or something. I don't believe that at all. I mm. believe everybody has a challenge in life. For some people, it's a major illness a life-threatening disease. For yes. other people, it could be losing your business, like what has happened to a lot of people now with COVID, 
or it could be an emotional upset you know maybe you've lost a loved one or you've gotten divorced from you know the person you thought was the love of your life and all these things are challenges mm. and they help us to look at ourselves again get a new perspective of who we are and who we can be and help us to live our best life so to me it's not so much about having cancer it's about how do you choose to live your life when you have cancer mm. how do you choose to live the journey it's the journey that that matters most i think mm. so it is said that art or any creative things works as healing so did you try any tried any such things uh, on your journey well i'm not much of an artist but i enjoy looking at art so you know before before we had to all stay at home because of covid and things i was able to do some traveling and i really enjoyed going to art museums and looking at art art i find helps me stay calm it helps me bring out certain emotions in myself um so i would say there is a great deal of value in art mm. as a tool for healing not necessary that you have to be the artist as well i think it works both um if you are the artist and you are expressing yourself through art but it also works if you are appreciating art as a viewer that that's my thought on it yeah Oh, um, how did the you same sorry is the same with other things you know music yeah. i enjoy music very much um i think these things they are all they are all good for the soul yeah <laughs> yes music is like a uh, peace yes yes so how did you overcome your fears of treatments or the side effects well huh, i think at the beginning uh, when it was that initial breast cancer diagnosis i went through all the usual nausea vomiting losing my hair um but i quickly learned to deal with it you know and there are medications to help with nausea and things like this so um those options were there for me now that i am stage 4 i have come to realize that my treatments they will keep changing as my cancer progresses So between 2016 when we first uh realized that the cancer has come back until today I have been through four different types of treatment. Okay. Mostly oral in the form of medication, but the second treatment actually involved getting some injections every month. Um so each one has its own set of side effects and things and i found that you know as you get used to something you understand the side effects you know how to control it better so it gets easier with time so for example the medication that i am on now a very common side effect is getting mouth ulcers yeah. so at the beginning i overreacted you know i thought okay you can get mouth ulcers i must really take care of the hygiene in my mouth so i was using mouthwashes and i was brushing my teeth more than usual and in the end 
I gave myself mouth ulcers because I was being too hard on my mouth with the toothbrush and the mouthwash, you know. Um, and it was very, very painful and very hard. I could hardly swallow and I had trouble talking. So once I got, uh, you know, they made me a special rinse to rinse my mouth every day mm. and heal the mouth ulcers. And it worked. It worked wonderfully. It was prepared for me at the hospital by the pharmacist. And once I got rid of those mouth ulcers, I made sure, okay, now we take care not to overdo it when we are keeping our mouth clean. And we learn what foods will trigger an ulcer to form. So it can't be too salty or too, too vinegary. It can't be too spicy. So I cut those foods out. And now um, I hardly get mouth ulcers at all. Hmm. So it's something you can learn to manage and deal with. And the key is always knowledge. You know, you have to learn about the challenge you are facing and how to overcome it. Yes. So when did you think that I can beat this disease or this belief was always there with you? I think in the beginning, in 2001, it was a process. But as I got through the chemotherapy and then I started the radiotherapy, I began to feel hopeful that, oh, okay, you know, the worst part is over. I've done the chemo. The radiotherapy doesn't seem so difficult in comparison. Um, but as I said, when I did that climb, that Mount Kilimanjaro expedition, that really, really turned it around for me. From that minute, I felt strong. I felt good about myself. And I felt I can do anything. I can beat cancer. I can climb a mountain. I can beat cancer. Now, if you look at my situation now, in the beginning, yes, you know, I, I was a bit upset that it had come back. But... I tell myself, you know, you can get hit by a bus tomorrow and that's the end of your life. So yes, you have stage four breast cancer, but it's far from over. There's still a lot that you can do, still a lot of things that I want to do that I want to enjoy doing. So I don't focus so much on I have cancer. I focus more on, oh, what are we going to do this week, you know? Or where are we going to travel next year when they open up the borders again? Yeah. Yes. So thinking positive, staying positive, I think is a big part of that whole equation of how you deal with having a major illness like cancer. Hmm. So did you join any support group? And if yes, then what was the importance of that support group in your life throughout the cancer journey? In the beginning, I didn't. At first, uh, when I started my first chemotherapy, I remember the oncology nurse, she gave me a little piece of paper with a phone number. And she yes. said, you know, anytime if you need support, these are women who have been through the same thing you are going through, give them a call. They're very supportive. But I never called because I'm quite a private person, I suppose. Um, I didn't call, but later, I came to know them after I had done Mount Kilimanjaro. 
I joined the Breast Cancer Welfare Association here in Slangor as a dragon boat racer. I joined their dragon boat team, you know, and then I got involved with another organization, which is today known as the Breast Cancer Foundation Malaysia. And I organized another mountain expedition together with them. So we, we went to South America uh, with an expedition that we called Climb Mount Aconcagua, Climb with Pride, you know? Okay. Um, so through those activities, um, and also uh, we did a fashion show where all the models were breast cancer survivors. Sure. So we all put on, I wore Chanel. I was so thrilled. I, I could never afford a Chanel jacket, you know, and I wore original Chanel for this fashion show. It was like, wow, this is my chance to sort of uh, live it up a little while it lasts, you know. So it was it was incredibly fun. I got to meet some amazing women. Um, there are there are men who get breast cancer, too, of course, but very few. And I've not actually met any here in Malaysia. So mostly it's women, uh, but they're all amazing. And they all do really, really great things with their lives. Many of them have children whom they have seen through university. Many of them have really great hobbies, whether it's cooking or dancing. And many of them also enjoy the outdoors like I do and go hiking. Uh, they go uh, trekking in the Himalayas, some of yeah. them. Mm -hmm. So there, there are many, many women out there who are doing really well. And that is an inspiration to me as well, that I'm not alone, you know. Yes. So at zenonco.io, we help cancer patients through their journey from diagnosis to forever. So what do you think about our work? Well, I don't know Zen Onko personally, but having listened to some of the interviews you have done with other caregivers and other patients, I think it's important work. It is important work because there are, you know, there can never be too many positive messages going out there to tell people that, hey, it's okay. If you've been told you have breast cancer or any kind of cancer, you do not need to become a recluse and hide away at home and be embarrassed about this or afraid of this. Mm. You know, um, you, you should just come out. You should seek treatment and you should feel positive and good about yourself because this is not some kind of punishment uh, to make you feel bad about yourself. This is just another challenge that life has thrown in your way. And it doesn't mean it's the end. There's still many things you can do with your life and you should try and enjoy it. And that I think, because uh, you have a, a tagline, right? Love, heals, love cancer. heals, cancer. Yes, yes. And I think that's really great because yes. it is love, you know, it's love from all the people around it's love from the caregivers in the hospitals too, because we mustn't forget about the doctors, the nurses, mm -hmm. and all those people who support us if we need to be in the hospital. But it's also self-love. It's yes. learning to love ourselves and telling ourselves that, hey, 
we are worth it. You know, we are worth being loved and we are worth fighting for. And yeah, just love, love yourself. So if you have to sum up your journey in one sentence, then what would that be? It's a little bit tongue in cheek, okay? But I would say it ain't over till the fat lady sings. <laughs> That's a, a, a saying, you know, like a, a little proverb or something like that, um, okay. which means to me that it's not over by a mile yet, you know? There's still um, a lot of life ahead of me and I intend to enjoy it as much as I can. Yeah. Thank you so much for your valuable time. And I'm sure the session really motivates people out there who have traveled or been traveling through this cancer journey. So it was lovely right. having you here today, Reni. So once thank again, thank you. you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And thank you again for inviting me to be part of your work. Um, yes. As I said, I think it's very important work and I am very honored to have been asked to be part of it. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much. Yeah.